Filibuster receives sponsorship from the Ehrlich Law Office, discrimination, wage, and litigation solutions serving Northern Virginia and the District of Columbia. If you need legal representation on employment issues, including wage and hour disputes, discrimination and harassment claims, wrongful termination, you need help with a severance package or non-compete clauses, or you just need equal employment opportunity and civil rights representation, general civil litigation, or even defamation, the Ehrlich Law Office has you covered if you are in Northern Virginia or the District of Columbia. For a free consultation, head over to ehrlichlawoffice.com slash filibuster. Actually, it doesn't make a difference. It doesn't change anything. It, it was only a mild truck this time. Okay. More a small imported car. Yeah, maybe like a Fiat. With a yeah, like one with a regular muffler, not one of those mufflers that like makes it loud. Yeah, but not like a smart car or a hybrid or uh, anything or an electric car. I don't know. Can we ascertain what kind of car was in Jason's computer there? Only if we do it with alacrity. <laughs> oh, God. We've, we've done it. We're going to get thrown off the job. That's what happens in the end. Is the guy gets he, He's threatened with being fired. <laughs> the problem is we do have to ascertain why Ben likes the word alacrity so much and why he will probably spend the entire tailgate on Saturday using it over and over again. Well, no. at that point, at that point uh, they'll, have, they'll have arrived with alacrity and thus... Uh, didn't they don't have to they don't need it anymore because they're at where they're, there's nothing else that can be done right yep basically I just want Ben wearing like really hipster clothes maybe a monocle saying that DC United needs to play with more alacrity when they have the ball well I mean they do so <laughs> I mean yeah that's that's actually uh, ben, please don't use the word alacrity in a column. If anybody listening to this notices Ben using the word alacrity in a column, finish your drink and then find Ben and smash the bottle over his head. That is, violence is not the answer, except in this case. Hey, hey, welcome in. It's Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast. I am Adam Taylor, joined, same as it ever was, by Ben Alacrity Bromley. And Jason, there's a truck in my computer. Anderson, we're all from blackandredunited.com, where you can find us writing about DC United, the U.S. national teams, and a lot more. And our staff is much more than just the three of us, so so go check it out. There's a lot of good stuff there this week, including, uh, you know, maybe not so exciting a game to watch this weekend. DC United went to Colorado and drew 1-1 with the Rapids in what will surely be an advertisement unless no, no, no one should ever rewatch this game ever. It would be a crime. It, it actually might be a violation of the prohibition against cruel and unusual punishment to force someone to watch that game again. Uh, but we're going to talk about it anyway, without forcing it, we will not subject you to that. We're also going to talk about DC United's game this upcoming Saturday night at RFK against the Columbus crew. Uh, we talked about the game on Tuesday against Arabe Unido on last week's show, so we will recommend you to that if you want to get a preview of the CONCACAF Champions League matchup 
They could send DC United into the quarterfinals. Yay! Yay! Mm. Uh, we're going to close the show tonight with a roundup of the Eastern Conference, kind of find out the lay of the land, because the playoff field, anyway, is pretty well set. It's just a matter of seeding at this point, and we're going to work out a little bit of where that could end up and, and see where teams are. Before we do anything, though, Jason Anderson, what are you drinking? Uh... It was a little, I was out at a friend's house last night, and I was walking home. It was actually, for the first time since winter ended, uh, chilly. There was a chill in the air, and so I've been in the mood for some sort of fall beer ever since, and I stopped on my way home and picked up an Oktoberfest. It's uh, Sierra Nevada's 2015 Oktoberfest. It's a collaboration, and I'm going to butcher the German brewery that they did it with, um, a place called Brauhaus Riegela. Um which has apparently been brewing beer in Augsburg, Germany, since 1386, which, as Americans, is an inconceivably long amount of time. Um, and the results show it's a, it's a really, really good Oktoberfest. I, I was pleased with it because I was buying it. The guy at the counter had never had it, and the guy standing next to me at the line was also like, I haven't had that one before. So uh, it turned out really well. I'll never see them again, and they are almost certainly not listeners, so they won't hear my recommendation. But if they are listening, it, it turned out to be pretty good. Is there any chance you're going to have any left to bring to the tailgate on Saturday? Uh, that'll be different beer, I would assume. Between, <laughs> between now and then, I think I will drink six beers. Yeah, okay, fine. <laughs> See, you, you, you sold the beer. Now I kind of want some. Uh, You'll be able to find it in Sierra Nevada. Come on. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I just have to find, make sure or hope it's carried in the stores around my neighborhood. Ben Bromley. What are you drinking? So I went to the liquor store today, and uh, in addition to liquor, they also sell Virginia wines. And I felt in the mood for wine, so I got a bottle of uh, Chateau Morissette's The Black Dog. It's a Virginia wine. And for some reason, uh, the liquor store is giving away products, uh, prizes, if you buy Virginia products. Uh, previously, it was a trucker hat that says Virginia is for lovers. I didn't get that because that's already gone. Um, <laughs> Are you going to wear a monocle with your trucker hat he, because it's so ironic? I'm not actually a hipster. Why do you keep? Why am I the hipster of the podcast? I don't know. Because you were you Adam use words like alacrity. Adam just started calling you a hipster, and, and so that's how it works. Okay. That is pretty much how the word hipster the other, works. Basically, just two people on the podcast turn against the third, and it's usually at random. <laughs> yes. But anyways, <laughs> also coming to Richmond is the 2015 International uh, Road Cycling World Championships. It's coming here next week. It's going to shut down the entire did city. they give you a bike? No, they did not give me a bike. Did they give you a fixie? You hipster. No, no they didn't get off your feet. When you didn't end up having a bike. No, but apparently there is one noisemaker that is apparently the official noisemaker of bike racing. And so, making <laughs> oh, its debut, okay. our first prop. <laughs> oh, God. They are giving out cowbells at Virginia ABC stores. So, I will just be reading this throughout the podcast at random intervals. <laughs> this is what we get talking. Adam, this is what we get for turning on Ben, is we've immediately paid a, a, a severe price. We have to reconsider our attacks on Ben from now on. Yeah, he's gone nuclear, is what's happened. Yeah. We, we, we responded we, not with proportionality, but with 
No. Shock and awe. We don't have mutually assured destru- destruction. <laughs> it's not balanced. We, we don't. The most I can do is click my pen. We're doomed. <sighs> well, yeah, we doomed. are. I've never been in a position to demand less cowbell until now. <laughs> Blame the Virginia ABC store. They gave it to me today while I was picking up something for the podcast. It's like, oh, now I must use this. Yet another thing Virginia ruins. <laughs> drinking. And podcast. Tonight I am drinking a Delaware beer, actually. Dominion's Beach House Golden Pilsner, because it got warm again last week until it wasn't anymore. And so I picked this up and then by the time the podcast came around, it was a little bit chilly again. It's supposed to warm up the rest of the week. So I feel okay drinking my, my summer Pilsner here from old dominion or from dominion brewing. Um, you know, it's fine. It's a fine Pilsner. It is what it is. Uh, they, they did not give me a cow or, uh, board shorts or any other kind of, uh, memorabilia. When I got this, though, because the giant in Shaw uh, is not as festive, clearly, as the Virginia ABC <laughs> store in Richmond. It's all ABC store, so you just have to venture across the, the Potomac to get your very own cowbell. I, w- I will say, on the topic of prizes being handed out at re- cash registers, if you ever go to Pennsylvania to buy fireworks... Don't. Uh, Oh, they for fireworks, will, sure. Yes, they will just start giving you more fireworks. Like, your prize for a purchase <laughs> is more fireworks, so if you buy $200 worth of fireworks, they just give you some more. Um, <laughs> it's very bizarre, and also you have to sign a piece of paper that says you will take the fireworks away from Pennsylvania within 48 hours. <laughs> it doesn't say that you have to take it to somewhere where they are legal. It just says you have to leave Pennsylvania. Um so basically, Pennsylvania is just spent sending people to all of the states at borders with illegal fireworks and saying, it's your problem now. Good luck. <laughs> Meanwhile, Virginia is annoying Virginia. And through Ben, the rest of us. Yeah. I would, I, I'm, I'm hesitant to criticize Ben at this point. <laughs> you cannot negotiate with, with yeah. Virginia terrorists, I- Jason. I've read too much Cold War stuff. Don't uh, let the terrorists. We win. have to. We have to invent our own bomb just to have a to return to the detent that that defined this podcast before. We now, we now have we we must not allow a cowbell gap. Yeah. Is this the cowbell theory of foreign relations? Basically. I was trying to come up with a portmanteau of cowbell and domino, and it just wasn't coming to me. No. No. Can you do? Uh, how many soccer podcasts do you get to hear about, you know, mid-20th century foreign policy theories? None, except this one, I say. Let's, you know, talk about the reason we're all here, and that's actually soccer. Um, surprise, surprise. DC United conceded early and equalized late for an ugly one-to-one draw at Colorado Saturday. Neither goal from either team is going to win any swords, nor indeed will any part of this game. It was, it was ugly. <laughs> ben, I, at one point during the, the game, I commented that the attacks for both teams looked like pickup games. They didn't look familiar with each other. There didn't look to be any coordinated activity in the attacks. It was just people running around. Is that a testament to... I think it's obviously a testament to to defense first, most defense in the league. But was it a testament to the quality of the defense or a testament to 
the lack of quality in the attack. Which one do you think it was more of? I think it was more of lack of quality in the attack. The defenses were fine, not great. But, I mean, you could tell that D.C. United's midfield, D.C. United's attack was not playing well together. Uh, Fabian Espindola and Avaro Sabarillo looked, I don't know, they looked like they were wandering in a park, like frolicking through meadows aimlessly, but they did not look like they were playing a game of soccer where they had to do things with other players together. Um, Marcus Halstey was just a little bit behind. Perry Kitchen was un- mostly anonymous again. Uh, Nick DeLeon, as has been the case recently, was uh, the least bad of the outfield players. He, he put in his normal pretty good, pretty decent shift, but there was just confusion and apathy throughout the uh, attacking spine of the team, and that's not the way you score goals or win soccer games. Yeah, stats in this one, 16 shots combined for both teams. Four shots on goal combined between the two well, teams. And, I, and I'll put forward that uh, Opta's stat counting in this game was bad because there were so few shots we can actually tell that they made mistakes because they left... They cut DC out of three shots on goal that they took. It should be five shots on goal for DC. They weren't good. I'm not saying they were threatening, but Opta did not collect stats well in this game. Which <laughs> even Opta had a bad game. I think even Opta fell asleep watching this one. Yeah, maybe. It was, a... <laughs> it was, it was late. <laughs> yeah. Uh, passing, neither team was over 80%. They were both in the mid-70s uh, for passing. That's That's not good for professional-level soccer in any country at any level. Um, Jason, the thing I want to talk about with you, though, is the subs. Uh, I I know I was calling for subs 10 minutes into the second half. We didn't get any until the 70th minute when Saborio came off for Arrieta and four minutes later when Halsty came off for Farfan. The only one thinking that that was way too late to change a game that obviously needed changing, right? Uh, yeah, I think the first sub, the the exact move, the Arietta for Sabrio sub, that should have come earlier because Sabrio just wasn't doing anything to earn his spot on the field. Um, he's not mobile enough where we can just rely on a long ball that he chases down. He's got to be assertive. He, he's got to hold the ball up, but to do that, he's got to be assertive in getting into spaces where he's got position on people. And it's not like Bobby Burling and Sean St. Ledger are mobile, um, high-end center backs that just read the game faster and get there faster than, than someone like Saborio. He should be dominating those players uh, as long as he's playing with his brain. And he just wasn't engaged in, in the match at all, really. Um, and United suffered for it. Um, it's not, I'm not saying that the, the sluggish and un, unpleasant, unpalatable play, I'm not saying it was all Saborio's fault, but... Right now, I, I, I don't see uh, Sabrio doing enough to justify him being an automatic starter, which is why he was traded for. Um, United traded Luis Silva. You expect to get someone that's going to be good enough to start, um, or at the very least is being held out of the lineup by someone playing great, and that's not happening. And I feel like Arietta could have done just as much as Sabrio in this game, plus offered a little bit more um, off the ball in terms of his runs, um, in terms of his passing ability, which at this point appears to be superior to Saborio. Um, I know that in terms of overall talent, Sabo's the better player. There's no doubt about that. But being better 
in theory, doesn't matter if you're not actually doing it. Um, and it's it's frustrating to watch because since his debut, which he played very well in, it's been like a progression downward. Um, and at this point, if if we found Saborio starting against Arabe Unido tomorrow night and Arietta starting against the crew, I really wouldn't complain too much. Though, on the other hand, we'll, and we'll get into the crew later, but they're bad in central defense in the air, and Saborio is good in the air, so we probably won't see that move yet. But um, the second sub with Farfan, I think um, I would have preferred Farfan playing from the start uh, in this game because we saw how the dour the game was as a result of the, the two teams playing the way they did. Um, I feel like United could have gone after this game a little more in the first half, which is why I was, if anyone was following me on Twitter, they know I was very frustrated with the first half because uh, I, I know Olsen said that he was satisfied with the organization that United showed in the first half because they weren't giving up many chances, but it's Colorado. I mean, staying organized against Colorado is not a difficult task, especially when um, Perry Kitchen was doing a pretty good job defensively with Dylan Powers. Powers didn't really have any impact on the game. Um, Dylan Serna seemed out of sorts. He didn't really have the normal um, energy that he brings to the field. Um, and so it was really Vicente Sanchez as a one-man show for both teams going forward in the first half. Um, he was the only player showing any ideas. Um, I think United could have dealt with him just as well, but played Farfan um, and actually created something going forward because I don't think Colorado would have been very well adjusted to it, um, to, to someone with some ideas and some close control going forward. Um, so... That one, I guess, the sub, that sub could have been earlier, but I feel like it would have been actually better to just switch those players from the start. Um, but it is a tie in a place where United doesn't do well historically. Um, I was thinking earlier of like what kind of grade I would give this game, and I guess on the balance you'd have to bottom out at like a C minus, but like like a sixty nine point five percent. Like you get rounded up into the the C range. Just um, say low pass. Yeah, it's a low uh, pass. The, the most reluctant passing grade you can give because yes, the performance was boring and there were some problems, but in the end, they went to Colorado and got a point against a a ba- it's a bad team, but it's also a team that generally, if you give up the first goal to them, you're probably going to lose. Um, they just they are one of the best defensive teams in the league because their commitment to only being defensive is incredible. Um, almost perverse at this point. Uh, there's a reason why they're they're where they are, and it's because they just they aren't interested in scoring goals. Uh, one of the jokes I made during the game was that if the Rapids could substitute one of their players for the ball and just have an extra man on the field and have no ball to play soccer with, they would have been completely satisfied. Um, and their subs in the game were, um, let's see, Serna came out for Dominique Baji, who is fast but also less creative, less skillful. Um, then they brought in Jared Watts, who's a center back, and he replaced Dylan Powers, who's a number 10. Um, <laughs> Watts, played, Watts played in the midfield. Um, this was a 15 minutes to go. This wasn't like stoppage time. Um, and then their last sub, and the guys from Burgundy Wave, uh, to their to their credit, actually found this sub more irritating than giving up an 87th-minute equalizer in a game that the Rapids had to win. And it was Kevin Doyle, their, their only striker, was pulled for Nick LaBroca, who was then played as an attacking winger um, in theory, though he is Nick LaBroca, so obviously he wasn't going forward. Um, and the, that's what the Rapids ended, the, a game that they had to have. Uh, they ended with Dominic Baggio by himself up front and LaBroca with 
I think Lucas Pitinari, who's a holding midfielder as the number 10. Um, it was a uh, preposterous, even by accepted rapid standards in terms of defensive. Uh, the formation stayed the same. They just kept putting more defensive players into new positions. It was in- kind of incredible in its own way. What I'm hearing from this kind of decision-making, what I'm hearing is that you think, not that you think that it should happen, but you think it will happen, that when Pablo Mastroeni leaves the Rapids organization, Jurgen Klinsmann will hire him as the tactician. Maybe, um, but I feel like he'll be like, no, all you do is put put defensive players into more attacking positions. There's not enough variation in your bizarre substitutions. And Klinsmann um, will say, that's my your... problem. I was putting Bedoya yeah. in as a number six. I need to go the other way and put Beckerman on the wing. Right. You know, I, I think Klinsmann will be like, <laughs> Mastroeni needs to add in like putting a forward at defensive midfield um, or something like that, like a target man playing as a number six. Um, that'll be what he tells Mastroeni. So, yeah, it was a good interview, but, you know, you need to add more directions to your crazy. It can't all just be defensive players everywhere. You, it has to, you, you have to throw in your attackers playing in defense for some reason. You know we've now cursed Bill Hamid to play, like, winger in the next game. In, in the Mexico game. I mean, in the, in the Confederation Cup playoff, he's going to play winger. I'd pay I mean, to see that. I mean, he's no. athletic enough that it could work, but... Also, also, I would just be happy to see him getting caps because he deserves them. Um, yeah. Well, that's you know. I know. I kind of want to see Bill Hamid on the back post header. I think that would yeah, be that would awesome be watching him incredible. crash the back post. Yeah. <laughs> um, so Ben Olsen at the end of this one talked about improvement he saw at the end of the game, uh, about kind of seeing the team that he he knows that United can be at the end. Jason, did you see that too, or or is Benny just trying uh, to put us on things? It's probably a little little between those two. Um, they definitely were better in the second half. Um, there was more involvement from the fullbacks uh, getting into good positions. We saw um, Chris Rolfe finally, right, at the, right before he came off, started to show a little bit more, um, punctuated his entire performance with his best pass of the entire game, um, and then literally was substituted moments later. Um there was a little more to it, but again, you know, that comes back to the subs, the players that were on the field. You know, Arietta did more in his, uh, what, 20 minutes than Sabrio did with 70. Mm-hmm. Um, Farfan, and, you know, Halsey, I don't think was bad by any means. I, I do wish he would play short a little more. It seems like he's always trying to switch the field um, or always be the long-range passer alongside Kitchen, and I think there, that needs to be more of a mix. It needs to be less predictable. Um, but Farfan came in and added a little more guile to the team, a, a little more of a, an aggressive intention more than anything else. And, and Chris Pontius also deserves um, some recognition for coming in and winning a foul that turned into an equalizer. Um, when you've got 10 minutes as a sub, you don't really have much time to do anything. Um, so I think part of it was the players coming in being energetic, not necessarily you know high skill or anything, just putting themselves about uh, with a little bit more energy than the players that were pulled off. I mean, sometimes it's, it can be as basic as fresh legs actually making a difference. Um, but th- there were elements of the, the the overall play that were not just down the subs that were drifting, DC United drifting towards more appropriate um, play for their place in the standings. They've still got a lot of work to do. Um, and if even if they play, you know, that last 20 minutes, if they play like that against Columbus at home, they'll probably pay the price. 
Um, so it's nice, and I can see why Olsen would be like after three losses and one particularly bad loss um, would be emphasizing what went right. Um, but I would hope that away from the press and maybe even away from the team when he's just talking to the coaches and he's thinking about how the team needs to look, he's thinking, you know, this week of training, we've really got to make some advancements um, because Columbus will open the, – Columbus is going to speed things up to the point that that performance that we saw on Saturday isn't going to be good enough. Um, I think D.C. United is a better team at their best than Columbus, but right now we're still a pretty safe distance from the best that D.C. United is capable of. Yeah, it's been six weeks, a couple months even, since we saw yeah. D.C. United at their best. So we'll talk more about that Columbus game in just a minute. Stick around. This is Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast. Hey, Ben, you know how you're always going on and on about legal advice on this show? Well, and yeah. Not, and you never, ever use the term correctly? Well, of course not. I try not to use the term correctly. Right. Our new sponsors, the Ehrlich Law Office, they do use the term correctly all the time. In fact, that is what they do. Oh, so if I actually wanted legal advice, I should probably go to them? Yeah, exactly. If you're in Northern Virginia or the District of Columbia, they handle employment issues, general civil litigation, defamation, lots of stuff. Uh, They have you covered. Jason, I'm sorry, they do not have you covered because you are in Maryland where they are not operating just yet. Uh, Fine. So... Ehrlich Law Office, it's, a, it's really good people. Uh, Josh is their, their main proprietor, Josh Ehrlich. Uh, he's a law school friend of mine, his, one of their, their attorneys, Ben. Uh, a lot of our listeners know him from games and, and other places. So, guys, for a free consultation, go to ehrlichlawoffice.com slash filibuster. Welcome back to Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast. The time has come to talk about D.C. United's next MLS game, which will be Saturday, September 19th at RFK against the Columbus Crew. You, yes, you, should come tailgate with us at RFK before the game. We're going to be out there starting around clock. Game starts at 7. Come anytime in between. Bring food to share. Snacks are okay. That counts. Um... BYOB or just, and just or just eat the food we bring because last time it ended and the the guys that cleaned up those tents came through and I was the last one standing there and they're like, do you guys want this food? And I was like, literally everyone is gone and I'm about to walk away. So no. So we ended up losing. Yeah, quite don't a bring food. don't bring a show up. Don't bring don't a ton of food, but bring a little bit of food. Yeah, and, and you know, be hungry. Have your dinner. Yeah, be hungry. Eat food. <laughs> eat a dinner's worth of food. Uh, last time, uh. The Washington Castle's mascot, which is a giant anthropomorphic tennis ball, came and stole some of our beer. Um, Wait, so that was fun. First he lingered around. Hijinks. He lingered yeah. around briefly, and then he returned, and then he made off with the beer. Yeah. <laughs> he did pose for a pretty outstanding photograph as he was making his escape, though. Um, he, he's still a mascot at heart, so he's got to do the like, crazy pose, which he did. Not that he does. He doesn't have many options because he is a tennis ball with arms and legs. So he really just has the, like, spread your appendages out uh, <laughs> in excitement pose, and that's it. But he did that. Uh, he went but he with nailed his, it, too. His A game. Yeah, he's good at that. He's good at that. <laughs> he's got one move, but it's a good move. <laughs> <laughs> he's precky. He's the precky of the mascot game. 
Exactly. What I'm saying is you should come hang out with us, uh, meet us, meet other writers from the site, meet other listeners of the podcast and readers on the site, and just have some fun. And anyone else uh, who wanders be, by? Yeah. We're going to be in the tent row in Lot 8 as you go from Lot 8 under the, the overpass into the state. Send us. There'll be a sign that says Black and Red United, and we will be there nerding out over DC like we do because we are all a bunch of big soccer nerds who like to drink and you know, fun stuff and happens when you combine those things. <laughs> uh, when we actually get into the stadium for the game, and just to be clear, coming to the tailgate does not get you a ticket. We don't have a group deal or anything. You'll have to pay your own way there. Uh, Columbus comes into this one having found some form, a recent 3 nothing loss in Dallas notwithstanding. They sit now just one point behind D.C. United for second place in the East. Ben, it seems like forever ago that, that DC United opened the month of May with a 2-0 win over the crew. Um, obviously, a lot has changed with, with DC United in that time. Uh, how do you want to see them approach this game? Because I know you were on the start Halsty uh, tip last week. Have, have you changed your mind there? Are you I now mean- on Team Farfan? I wanted them to start Farfan. I was just predicting what I thought Ben Olsen would do. Okay. That's a nice out for you. It, well, it's true. Uh, I mean, <laughs> I think we're going to see Farfan start tomorrow night as we record, tonight as you listen, because you should obviously listen on the day this podcast comes out, um, against Arabe Unido. So it seems unlikely that he's going to start on Saturday, but Tuesday to Saturday is still enough time for a guy who hasn't been play, He hasn't been ground down by the season yet, so he could easily start um, uh, Tuesday and then again on on Saturday. So I would like to see that. I know Ben Olsen likes Michael Farfan. He likes trying to fit him on the field, so I think he's got a pretty short trigger when it comes to deploying Michael Farfan, but he also likes Marcus Halstey, so I want to I see Farfan out there. Other than that, I think we're going to see pretty much the same lineup that we saw. Um, there's no real good place to fit in Chris Pontius right now. I guess really the only place would be at forward, and I don't think that's going to happen. So No, I mean, if Sabo sits, we can move Rolf up top, and that opens up the left side of midfield. Yeah, that too. That too. Um, so... I, I think there are a few options Ben Olsen has to, to change things up, but the biggest, most important wrinkle to pay attention to is is who's going to start with Perry Kitchen in central midfield. Jason, we know how DC United has been doing the last few months uh, up and down. What's What's been up with the crew? I mean, obviously they're only one point behind United at this point. Um, what, what have they been up to uh, on the field? Uh, after kind of um, kind of a flat spell for them, they've really come into their own. They've been win- I, I don't know their exact uh, recent streak, but it's it's pretty good. They, that's why they've caught up. It's not just the Red Bulls getting points right now in the East. Yeah, I think uh, they've lost they've lost two games since the start of August. Right. Um. And and the funny thing with the crew is that you know a lot of teams when they have a, a spell of poor form, you hear about. Oh, this guy came in and changed things, or that guy came in. Uh, Greg Berhalter is pretty much stuck with the exact same eleven, give or take. Um, Emmanuel Pogatetz being dropped uh, for Tyson Wall. 
uh, in central defense. Other than that, it's been pretty much the same guys doing the same thing, and he just wants them to do it better. And lately, they have been doing it better. Um, mostly, it's been uh, Kai Kamara and Ethan Finley have been consistently scoring goals and creating assists. It's been the other players on the team contributing. Um, Will Trapp is back after a you know having a concussion for a while there. That that certainly adds something that they didn't have with uh, Mohamed Saeed playing the the number six role. Um, but really, it's just been sticking to guy. Burhalter has he he's very sure of his beliefs in what that team needs to do, and he's stuck to his guns and he hasn't really been big on too many changes. They've been enforced changes, but anytime he's been able to field a pretty predictable 11, he's fielded that group of players. So um, maybe that repetition is starting to reap some benefits at this stage in the season where a lot of other teams have had less stability and thus they don't have the level of familiarity that the crew have. Um, Certainly it helps to have, uh, I think Finley is still one assist behind um, Chaco Maidana is the number one setup man in the league and Kamara is out in front for the golden boot. So, uh, certainly they've, their goal scoring has never, has not been the problem for the crew this season at all. It really is their, their defense isn't great. They're really bad in the air. And they're also, there's a certain level of naivety that, that comes with the crew that's sort of, it's sort of interesting to watch them never toughen up and never figure it out. Um, lately it hasn't really been punishing them because they've been able to get on the front foot. But if you get the crew into sort of a scrap, and this appeals probably pretty strongly to Ben Olsen. Um, if you get the crew in the scrap, you are probably going to beat them because they aren't a very tough team mentally. They aren't a very tough team physically, give or take Kai Kamara's flying forearms. Um, and they struggle. That was in, their undoing last year in the playoffs, too. Yeah, and that's been their, it's been their undoing in most of their losses and ties, or, or when they've tied someone that they shouldn't have. It's been because they end up in a fight and they just aren't, a team that's prepared to be in fights and they aren't prepared to be, I don't want to say cynical, but they certainly aren't doing things to keep themselves safe. There's a, a lack of caution with the crew, um, which can be, can result in some pretty attractive soccer, but it can also result in plays where you're like, what on earth are you people thinking? Um, yeah. And they're it kind of, can result kind of active counterattacks. Right. And they're kind of a blend of, of those two things where it's like sometimes you watch the crew and you're like, this team is really fun to watch. And sometimes you watch them and you're like, you know, you guys need to grow up. Um, and uh, United, if they're going to get the better of them, needs to really emphasize that that immature edge in the crew's play. Because if the game is wide open, uh, I think we know at this point that United doesn't succeed when they play wide open games, against, except against very bad teams like the teams at the bottom of the standings. Um and those teams, yeah, okay, fine. We'll have uh, grand old time scoring six goals against uh, RSL or three against Philadelphia. That's fine. But um, against teams that can actually play a little bit, it's not really a recipe for success. Um, and it's not just about opening up as a figure of speech. The crew want to play touchline to touchline, and United is not going to want to do that. They're going to want to keep the game narrow. Um, and that might be a good sign as to where, where the game's going. If the, crew, if the game feels stretched out, it's it's going to be a game that's good for Columbus. And if it's, if it's a little more contentious, it's a little more narrow and a little more, uh, you know, tightly played on a small surface and, and played with sort of tension involved, then I think United has the edge. But we'll find out pretty quickly because 
those are the kind of things where you can you can see it pretty obviously. If, if everyone's playing out on the touch lines, that's a problem for United. So where can DC United exploit really exploit the crew going forward? Because we know that they'll they'll like to hit on the counterattack, and um, depending on who's up top, that 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 could change. But right. but where do the crew tend to be vulnerable? Uh, well, their fullbacks come forward quite a bit. Um, they use those fullbacks to allow their wingers to come inside and attack. Um, on the left, it's usually someone cutting in to shoot, whereas on the right, Ethan Finley is just trying to get around the fullback, whether it's running the channel uh, almost as a second forward or getting out wide. But their fullbacks love to stay. They, for their system to work, their fullbacks have to come up really high. Um, Will Trapp ends up dropping deep enough where he's almost... If they lose the ball, they essentially are defending out of a back three with Trapp playing as the the middle middle center back um, because of how, how high their fullbacks push up, um, which means that when they lose the ball, they are immediately vulnerable on the flanks. And when you throw in the fact that their center backs are bad in the air, Tyson Wall is not good in the air, and he's easily the bigger center back and better in the air than Parkhurst, and if you catch Trap in that spot, he's, I think, all of 5'7". Um, so they're very vulnerable in the air. Um, probably the worst team in the air, in, in terms of their center backs, the worst team in the air in all of MLS. Um, and so they're extraordinarily vulnerable that way, and they're extraordinarily vulnerable when their fullbacks get caught forward because they're, they're, that's the risk that, that Burhalter wants them to take. He wants to gamble with that, but the, the consequence that often bites them is that they aren't quite good enough at hiding those spaces that, that are left behind. Um, and that's really, the, that's kind of the cat and mouse game for United is going to be, can they feed those areas? Um, can they get into those spaces? Uh, someone like Miguel Aguilar might be a very, we might see Aguilar earlier than normal. I don't think he's going to start, but I think we might see him off the bench earlier than we normally would just for the fact that someone that can get down the flank and into that space fast is going to be much more dangerous against the crew uh, than against some other teams that might use their fullbacks to support the attack um, rather than be an active part of it. Um, so that's that's the number one thing that I would look for is is some old-fashioned get it down the wing and hook in some crosses. It, it sounds kind of English in the 90s and unappealing, but, uh, you know, Columbus... Is in, Columbus invites teams to play that way and attack them that way, and there's no reason not to because they they haven't shown any sign of being able to stop that. So that that I would also note, um, Steve Clark has a little bit of sweeper keeper in him, which can be good, but it can also result in him doing the you know the reason people are skeptical of sweeper keepers in general or any keeper that has is comfortable with the ball at his feet is that by definition it comes with an element of risk to it. Um, there's a reason you do it, and most of the time it pays off and it actually helps you, but when it goes wrong, it goes horribly wrong. So getting him to try and come out for balls that are behind the defense that he can't quite get to, that that's a pretty tempting proposition as well. Um, or pressure if he's going to carry the ball, someone should actually go after him. We saw um, Sabario in one of his few moments of high activity in Colorado block uh, Clint Irwin's clearance attempt out for a throw-in. Um, and that sort of came out of nowhere. Um, Clark is going to have the ball at his feet more than Irwin, and he's going to take more chances. He's going to look for a, a pass rather than just sort of hoofing the ball forward, and the result of that will be uh, a chance for United to get something cheaply. And, I mean, there's no reason 
that's the other thing with Columbus is that they're not even in. They almost don't want cheap goals, and they give up cheap goals. It's it's a strange thing to not be willing to accept. It's almost like, oh, we're too good for scoring this trash goal. It's got to be nice. Um, trash goals are great, and don't ever forget it. Uh, the, a team that scores trash <laughs> goals tends to tends to win trophies and lift things. So, um, if United wins this game on the back of two garbage goals, then great. Uh, and Columbus can talk about how they created such a nice goal or what have you, but they'll still go home with nothing, and that's kind of the point. Ben, I can't believe I use this word, but we've set it up so much. We've got to see alacrity out there, right? We've got to see United playing with more urgency, move the ball more quickly. Without that, it really doesn't matter what players or tactics we Ben Olsen puts out. The team has to to think faster and move faster, right? Oh, yeah, definitely, especially in up the spine of the team, uh, in central midfield. Uh, Perry Kitchen's defensive work has been fine, but he's kind of regressed on that, uh, the offensive work that he improved so much last year. Um, I will say there was a really good sequence in, I think, late in the first maybe it was even in the second half, where there was a really good four or five one-touch passes in a row. Yeah. And I would work the ball through the midfield. And I just said more and did not get more of that. But but right. they obviously have it in them to, to do this. Right. And I I'm just not sure why they, they haven't been. But if any game is a, a game to break out of the funk, it would have been the game in, in New Jersey. But if there's another option, it's this game. Right. And, yeah, hopefully... Fabi's performance in the game against uh, Colorado was just rust from being on the shelf, and it's his first game back because he. We know he's better than that. He didn't lose all of his magical abilities in one injury stint <laughs> this year. He he's better than that. It's gonna come back at some point, and whether or not it's with Saborio next to him or Chris Rolf next to him or Hira Arrieta next to him, we don't know yet. But Fabi's gonna be better. He's gonna be more aggressive. He's going to combine better with his uh, teammates. So that, that will come. And, it, yeah, and, and we'll see what happens in the central midfield, and it'll be exciting and fun for all. Especially after the Black and Red United tailgate. We're just going to keep plugging it so you guys can come. Yes. Seriously. Yes. We're not going to stop step, talking about it. Except to talk about this. Let's step back now and talk about the Eastern Conference more more broadly. Um, we've already talked about the, the teams currently in second and third. That's DC and Columbus. Unfortunately, the top team, the number one team in the stand is that team up in New Jersey. Uh, they, they dove their way to victory over the Chicago fire this weekend. Lloyd Sam pulling up the landing gear um, and, and say conning the ref into giving what turned out to be the game winning penalty. Uh, Ben, did you did you see this game on Friday on Viernes de Football? I did not. No. Um, <laughs> nope. Still, you've seen <laughs> it, it wasn't it wasn't a great game by any by any chance. I mean, you missed. I I, I watched it in Spanish because I couldn't stand the SAP <laughs> more. The green rectangle. <sighs> the white bullet. Uh, but. but You've still seen enough of, of the Metros to, to be able to talk to them. They sure. unfortunately look good right now. 
it's really fury infuriating to see because they they actually look like they probably are the best at least playing the best soccer in the Eastern Conference right now. Yeah, that's definitely true, unfortunately. And they've been on a good run of form, uh, especially the second half of the season. And it's infuriating. But for all the um, Mike Petke truthers that are still in the Red Bull fan base, Jesse Marsh has really put together a solidly built team, not based on superstars or anything, but a just well-built MLS team. And he is good at optimizing that kind of talent load. Uh, it makes you wonder what might have happened if the uh, Montreal Impact weren't just excited about firing coaches all the time and had actually kept Jesse Marsh around uh, from their first season and allowed him to build something there. Yeah, with the Impact, it's like Joey Saputo saw the way uh, Roman Abramovich is running in Chelsea where he just fires managers every 14 months and said, that is how you win championships. <laughs> And and it just hasn't worked yet in Montreal. But give it time. Give it time. Um, the Red Bulls go to New England midweek, actually on Wednesday. So if if Lloyd Sam is going to face any punishment for what I thought was a clear dive, uh, well, we should know pretty soon. Uh, Jason, let's talk about New England since... You know they they are playing the Red Bulls. They're fourth right now, two points behind DC, but with a game in hand. So they could actually, if they beat the Red Bulls, could be in second place before United takes the field against Columbus. Um, what do you make of Jay Heap's team right now? Uh, they're not doing exactly what they did last year, where they suddenly um, threw Jermaine Jones on the field and were ten times improved over the like eight game losing streak or whatever it was they went through. Um, but uh, they are slowly rounding into a little better form, I would say. Um, they just beat they Toronto, went to Toronto, Toronto this so weekend. That's a, that's not a bad result at this point, um, especially since it was this is TFC with Giovinco, not the um, TFC without him, which is essentially just old TFC, um, the team that finishes in eighth place. Um, Giovinco is worth about four standings places. Um and and they did it by going and winning the game. They didn't just sit in and wait for Toronto to make a mistake. They went and took a two nothing lead on the road. You know, Toronto put put one in, and then they responded with another goal. Um, New England is still going to be deep. Um, they've still got options to cycle in on both wings, um, and they can't really replace Kobayashi and. I think Juan Agudelo has struggled to keep to stay even with Charlie Davies this year. Um, last year it was more of a even even the early parts of this year it was sort of like every other game they would just switch spots and one would replace the other as a sub. Um, thus far in the la- in the last three or four months Davies has really t- even though he's not scoring a ton of goals it's what he does off the ball. Um, he's more active he's more involved in general. Agudelo tends to let the game come to him whereas Davies goes and hunts it down a little bit more. Um, Diego Fagundes has started to push his way back into the lineup, which adds a little more cleverness than they got out of Teal Bunbury, who, though he did start this weekend, Bunbury. Um, but, uh, there's a lot of, yeah, they, they both did, but I think that was mostly to give Kellen Rowe a little rest. Um, I think there, there might, he might've picked up a knock in the previous game that might've needed a little protection though. He did come in and score the third goal. So it's not like he was, he was that badly off. Um, yeah, but he actually came into the game and was fantastic. 
Calibro. Right, and and that's what the, you know. That's a key for for heaps is that any game he's in, the two wingers he sends out, if it's not working, he's got players that are not just a sub, but someone that can add a different element. He can change things. Um, if Rowe is playing on the right and they need someone who's more physical, they can send Bunbury in. Um, if they need more intelligence on the left, they can bring in Fagundes, or they can play Agudelo out on the left, and, and you know he almost becomes a second forward a lot of times when they attack. So they're, they're still going to struggle defensively, I think. I don't think Andrew Farrell has been that good at center back. Um, Jeremy Hall is playing left or right back now, and, and while I like Jeremy Hall from his time at Maryland, I don't think he's anything more than a replacement-level player in MLS. Um, but as long as Jermaine Jones is on the field and their their front four is what it is, um, Lee wins maybe not an MVP candidate anymore, but he's still pretty good at soccer. Um I think they're always going to be a threat because they're they're they have a lot of moving parts and there's a lot of mobility in their attack. You see players switching roles fluidly and then getting back in a position once they've lost the ball or, or what have you. Um, so they become pretty difficult to defend, but you know they've got to keep teams on their heels because if you attack the revs for more than a few minutes, eventually they're going to have problems because they just don't have really since. Uh, Jose Gonzalez was Defender of the Year a couple years back um, in his first season in MLS. Since then, he it really hasn't been the same for them. He hasn't been as good. Andrew Farrell doesn't really look like a natural center back. Um, no one has taken over his old spot at right back. Uh, Chris Tierney is good going forward. He's not really that good defensively. Bobby Shuttleworth is an okay MLS goalkeeper, but he's not a Bill Hamid-style character who's going to bail those guys out. Um, so a little bit like Columbus in that, they're a team that's good going one way, but n- not the other. The final two teams that we're going to talk about, and yes, I know I said it was an Eastern Conference roundup, but there are only six teams that that matter because the playoff field is, for all intents and purposes, set. Uh, oh, the, I want to talk teams. about how awful Orlando City is. Well, actually, that that that's my my next point is we're going to talk about Toronto and Montreal. Sorry, not sorry, Orlando. Um, because Orlando, they're technically even on points with Montreal right now, but they have played four more games than the Impact, and the Impact are going to get at least one point more than than Orlando the rest of the way as a result. So Kaká and company... Lewis Neal started in attacking midfield in their last game. And he did pretty well. They won that game. I know, but still, it's hilarious. (laughs) That's the second game they've won in 12. Yeah, Lewis Neal played attacking midfield for DC United in a game and did really well, too. Um, when he was up here, he had a fantastic through ball yeah, assist. Yeah, yeah, but we're not remember. paying $6 million to Kaká. That's true. But <laughs> we don't have many players that fly back from national team duty for... I guess he wasn't on the national team roster for Brazil. For whatever reason, he was out in that game. Like I said, though, we're not talking about Orlando or Chicago or NYC or Philly. We are talking about Toronto and Montreal. I I almost lost it, but I got it. I saved it. (laughs) Um, Toronto FC, like we were talking about, just lost 3-1 to to New England despite having all three of their designated players on the field at the same time. Ben, I think it's... Uh, meanwhile, Drogba in the Impact went to L.A. and held the Galaxy to a score draw, which is no small feat right now, considering all the firepower the Galaxy have mustered and how they've managed to 
make it all come together mm-hmm. in recent weeks. Like they always do. Right now, right now, who do you have finishing fifth and who do you have finishing sixth between Montreal and TFC? I think uh, Montreal is going to pass to TFC. That's pro- that's 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 easy. That's an easy bet to take. Uh, it, just, Montreal, Montreal. For reference, it's uh, TFC has a five-point edge with uh, two games more played than Montreal. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm still taking that. I mean, okay. Giovinco will probably return to his excellent play, although maybe not quite as excellent. He, he's, it's hard to be that hot uh, multiple times in a season. But uh, Montreal decided to take their large sums of money and, and instead of plowing it into U.S. men's national team players who may or may not be best suited for MLS, they actually decided to put it into a player who can both draw fans at the gate and score goals. Uh, imagine that. I mean, TFC did the same with Juvenko, but it's a little different level than Drogba. Um, they all, Montreal always has the possibility of just falling completely apart because they're always really old, but I think this time down the stretch they're going to pass uh, TFC because TFC is just going to continue to be TFC and find new and hilarious ways to lose. But obviously there's no chance of them falling out of the playoffs, but I still think they finish fifth. Yeah, I think that's that's fair. I want to look at the schedule a little bit. Um, Montreal goes to San Jose midweek. I assume they stay out there on the West Coast. And the app I was looking at just crashed, so never mind. We're not going to look at the schedule <laughs> after all. <laughs> I got into one game, and then it just it just went away. Uh, hopefully MLS Digital should, listens should, to this podcast. Should I, ring it, should I ring the cowbell at it to chastise it? I thought you were just Never. going to. <laughs> yeah, and thank you for asking. The answer is no. No, you should not ring the cowbell ever for any reason. Unless it's tied around the neck of a cow. What about a goat? What if I make it a goat bell? I walked right into it, too, didn't I? You did. Yep. Just you walked did. right into it. <laughs> Jason, um, Montreal seems to play really well against teams that they know want to come out and attack them and want to and have the firepower to do that. That, that almost galvanizes Montreal's defense. They did it all through the Champions League beating teams that were, were better than them by just sitting back and, and countering um, and also having a couple of guys no one's ever heard from before or since have incredible plays that don't, don't seem to fit within the laws of reality. Um, are they going to make a run when they get to the playoffs? Because I think this will be the first time ever that both TFC and Montreal are in the playoffs together. Montreal's only made the playoffs once. Toronto's never made it in, what, nine years they've been in the league? I think um, this would be their eighth season. But or is it eight, eight seasons without playoffs? Okay. I don't know. Yeah, well, either way, well, yeah. either way, it's a long damn time. Yeah. Uh, I, I think Toronto has, when you have Sebastian Vinko, anything can happen, and they're trying to find the right system to play. They played a 3-4-3 the last couple games. Yeah, they've done some uh, odd stuff, uh, technically. Yeah. <laughs> but I want to know, is Montreal are going to make the defend and counter work come playoff time. Yeah, it's definitely possible. It probably depends on who they end up against. Um, I think a team like like us, for example, if if we fall into third and Montreal stays sixth, uh, for example, um, 
I feel like United already doesn't come out to attack too many teams, so Montreal will not be able to just sit and wait for the counter. Um, we saw them sort of go into a panic shooting uh, when, when United went to uh, Stotsaputo and, and won despite uh, being outshot by 24 um, because it, it's not really great to just always shoot from 30 yards over and over again forever. Though, I mean, Bill Hamid did also end up making some amazing saves. Uh, Montreal probably doesn't... There's a certain lack of composure with their roster, and it might actually be better. They might actually be better now that Moro Biello doesn't seem very emotional, um, whereas Frank Klopas is mostly known for his hip-thrusting uh, gif uh, from the Champions League um, and just generally being like on the verge of being infuriated at all times. Um, they might be better off under the leadership of someone who is just calm and... Un- it's, the, the thing is, uh, last year, Marco Chalabon was the Swiss Volcano. So it's been a long time since this group of players has had a coach who isn't just constantly about to boil over. And maybe they, they might have a little more composure under a coach who's like, we don't have to flip out, it's like there's like an hour to play, calm down. Um, which is a novel concept up there, I suppose. Um, the other advantage that both of those teams are going to have is that the playoffs take place in Canada's winter, uh, which I believe starts pretty much now and extends into well into like June, uh, more or less. Um, so it's going to be brutally cold. Um, Montreal might have to play their their game at uh, the Olympic Stadium, uh, depending on the weather. So. Uh, they've got an advantage in that department, uh, an unusual surface, so they might be a difficult team to play against. Um, I still feel like I'd rather play them than like the Revolution, um, but I think they're. If you just took if you took the seeds away and just had teams, I would rather play Columbus um, than Montreal. Um, I would rather play Mo- uh, TFC over Montreal because I think United at their best, is capable of shutting down Giovinco, and TFC will eventually just shoot themselves in the foot because that's what they do. Um, so they aren't the worst team. They they might end up as the sixth seed, but I don't think they're going to be the worst team in the Eastern Conference playoffs is, is what I'm slowly getting at. Wait, you mean you took a long way to make a point? Yes. Uh, a point that you... I didn't... I didn't start out having it in mind. It just sort of... <laughs> I talked it out, and that's where I ended up. Uh, you mentioned Toronto shooting themselves in the foot. Michael Bradley was the culprit this week, um, turning the ball over horribly right after um, Toronto had drawn back to get to two to one. Um, turned the ball over in his own box, and and that's when Kellen Rowe uh, put the dagger in. Um, it's it's going to be a, a fun run in because there are a few battles. I, I think Toronto and Montreal are probably going to finish fifth and sixth in some order. Um, New York, rolling my eyes and being sad. The the Red Bulls are probably going to take first place, but the two, three, and four are completely up for grabs right now, and it's going to be going to be a race. In uh, and Ben, I anything think, else? Oh, go ahead. I, I was going to say things could get really interesting by tomorrow uh, or by Wednesday, excuse me because New England hosts the Red Bulls, and the Red Bulls have a long history of bad results at Gillette Stadium. They've also The Red Bulls also have a game in Chicago, and they've never won a game at Toyota Park. Uh, and they lost to Chicago earlier this season and probably should have lost to them uh, just a couple days ago. So the Red Bulls have some of their kryptonite teams coming up. Um, so if they can't win those games, all of a sudden it really becomes 
all of the top four. Maybe, I mean, maybe the teams that are third and fourth can't get to number one, but you know, there's a lot of variability all of a sudden. Maybe Columbus well, could get up the, there. The Revs certainly could. If they beat the Red Bulls, they jump to second place. Right. They jump from fourth to second with with a win on Wednesday. So um, I, I'm going to be rooting for a draw in that game. Just actually, to, no. If, if the Revs win on Wednesday, they'll actually be in first. They'll have 46. Everyone, uh, uh, Austin and the Red Bulls will have 45. That's right. That's right. Um, so they'll jump. They'll jump up to first. Yeah. Uh, no, the Red Bulls will still have a game in hand. Two or games. Two games. Yeah, yeah. At that point. Um. Either way, like I said, it's going to be fun positioning. Um. It's not like out west in the Western Conference there are a few different combinations of potential playoff teams, but in the East, it's all about seeding, and it's it's just going to be a fight to the death out here, which is always fun for for fans. Assuming our team doesn't die. Right. <laughs> That's a nice, uplifting place to end the show. Unless, Ben, you have anything you want to add? No. Okay. Lucky I, me. I'm, I'm not going to lie. Right I, in. I, just I also very much expected the, the cowbell of doom to... to I, I am, I'm a benevolent dictator. I only use my powers when it will benefit me. I do not use it capriciously. Well, thank you all for listening. Uh, find us at blackandredunited.com. We're on Twitter at BusterDCU or at blackandredu for the full site. Send us your emails. Filibusterpodcast at gmail.com is the address. Find us on iTunes. Find us on Stitcher. Find us on SoundCloud. Mostly tell a friend about us. I usually say to tell your friends at the tailgate on Saturday, but they will have all already heard of the show because you're going to be tailgating with us, obviously. Right? Right? Okay, good. We will talk to you real soon. For Jason and Ben, I'm Adam. Say goodbye, Jason. Goodbye, Jason. Bye, Jason.